welcome tonight to our study, which is going to be on the topic of love, but not just any love. The Bible tells us that we are commanded to love. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So we're not just supposed to love, but we are commanded by Jesus Christ to love because love is a choice. Love is an action. It's not just a set of words, but it is demonstrated through our actions. So tonight we're going to study and look at some examples in Scripture of God's commanded love. It's not optional that we love one another or that we embrace one another in prayer and in all manner of of ways that we can demonstrate our love. The Bible tells us that God so loved that he gave. He demonstrated his love by sending his son. So we're going to look tonight at the def- some definitions of love. Of course, there are so many. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us what's been come to known, been, be known as the love chapter. Um, love suffereth long and is kind. It, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puff, puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So we're going to look at some of the definitions that Paul gave us, and it really is something to measure ourselves by. It says, love suffereth long and is kind, envieth not, does not vaunt itself, doth not behave itself unseemly. And the the thing that really um, hits me is that it does not think evil, but rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love is supposed to be positive. It's not something that is a negative thing. Uh, On the left panel there, I have some some things about love. It says, listen without interrupting. Share without pretending. Speak without accusing. Enjoy without complaint. Give without sparing. Trust without wavering. Pray without without ceasing, forgive without punishing, answer without arguing, promise without forgetting. So what is love's foundation? Well, there's many types of love. The Greeks had four different words for love. There was um, love between a husband and wife. There was brotherly love, filial love. And of course, the love that Paul uses here, agape love. Uh, John 17 22 says, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. We're going to look at the foundation of love. What generates love? Verse 23 says, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect 
in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I've asked this question many times for parents. When did you start loving your child? Was it when they had accomplished something? When they had graduated from kindergarten? When they had graduated from grade school? When they had graduated from high school? Maybe college. That's when you started loving them. And of course, nobody told me yes. What they told me, they loved them as soon as they were born. Because love's foundation rests upon the relationship. The reason why you love your child is because they are yours. Verse 26 says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. So one of the truest signs of a Christian, according to Scripture, is how we show love. Now, is love's foundation physical attraction? Well, it can be the start of it. I mean, uh, let's be honest. First, we look at somebody. But it's not, it's not something that's going to be enduring because physical attraction is not going to stay. We're going to age. If that is the foundation of love, then it will only be temporary. What about personality? Well, that's also part of uh, attractiveness, But it's, again, something that can be transitory. Someone's personality can change over time. They can can, uh, be different over a number of years due to life circumstance. So if your loving is founded on the person's personality, that also is not really a great foundation, a long-term foundation. What about if they're rich? Many relationships have started because one person can give to another. But that is an out of balance relationship if it's just based upon the fact that someone is rich or they can give. Uh, So provision is not a good foundation for love. What about just out of duty, out of responsibility? In the Bible, there were marriages that were done uh, because of that reason. If your brother died without children, you were supposed to take on his widow. But that wasn't love. That was out of duty, out of responsibility. What is the best foundation for love? Well, it's the one that can't change. It's the blood relationship. You know, people can get divorced. People can fall out of love because one person is no longer attractive on the outside to them. Uh, maybe that person who who was a, a provider no longer can provide and The fact that they married them or loved them before because of what they could do no longer works. But there's nothing you can do about your birth parents. The blood relationship of a birth, you can't divorce that. You may not be able to talk with them or they may not talk to you, but that doesn't change who your parents are. So the strongest relationship is one that is by birth. That's why the Bible says that we must be born again. When we're born into that family, we are, our love is founded on the strongest relationship. It's a relationship, of course, that can't change. You can't change who your father or mother is. 
It's that blood relationship to father to son, mother to child. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Can a woman forget her suckling or nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. God is saying his love is stronger than even uh, a mother's love for her children. We're going to be studying the book of Hosea a little bit later, but it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This is God looking at Israel as if Israel was his son. And again, that's the relationship that does not change. You cannot change who your parents are. So love that is founded on a birth relationship is actually the strongest basis for love. In um, Deuteronomy 4.37, he said, God says, And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. So we see that in Deuteronomy 10, God is explaining his basis for love. His basis for love is because Israel was his son. Today, his basis for loving you is when you are born again because you are his child. And there's not much you can do about that. You may not be in a relationship with him, but if you have been born again, you can always run to an altar and find grace. Amen. 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God's most primary essence is declared to us that he is love. John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. What it's saying here in the Greek, manifested, the word is phanerum, means to appear. Love made manifest was that God sent his son. In fact, came himself, took on a human body, divested himself of his glory and of the heavenly paradise to come and be born in a lowly manger, to suffer, to grow up, to be spat upon, to be maligned, to be cursed, to die. Here in his love, verse 10, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. When a baby is born, it really can't express love. The love is when it's born is from the parent to the child. They pick that baby up and they're smiling and they're cuddling that little baby. It's just the same way when God first drew us to him, he demonstrated his love. But we need to grow and be able to return that love, not only to him, but to our brothers and sisters. That's what the scripture is saying. Now, this thing about love is a bit of a mystery. And we see that in the scripture because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that God's love for the church is a mystery. It's a mystery how he likened uh, the church to a bride and to a marriage relationship. Genesis 2.21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Many women are quick to point out that they were not made from the dust, but they were made from Adam's side. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken 
out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. There is something about the marriage relationship that God used to model the church. One flesh. Jesus uses that and says that we need to be one even as he is one. That's how close and intimate the relationship should be. In the scripture, there's a a certain phrase that's always used when it's talking about that intimate relationship. It says, and Adam knew his wife. Or uh, someone knew uh, um, uh, a female. It was always an intimate relationship. That's why the Bible says, in all our ways we need to acknowledge. In other words, to know him. It's got to be an intimate relationship. Not just a knowledge of, but going beyond that to becoming one with God. And as uh, Chris preached, the only way we can be one with God is if we are holy. The only way we can be holy is if he clothes us. Amen. So they shall be one flesh. That's the key to the mystery of love. Because the Bible goes on to say, if, you, if you're one flesh, you don't hurt your flesh. Uh, if you're in your right mind, you don't, you don't stab your flesh. You don't wound your flesh because that's you. If we were looking on our brothers and sisters as part of us, as part of the body, then when they hurt, we would hurt. That's the mystery of love, of becoming one body. Ephesians chapter 3, verse um, sorry, uh, 5 verse 31 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. Here Paul is likening, again, the church to the marriage relationship, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this is where he pointed out as a mystery. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a w- wonderful, awesome plan of God that before we even, just as a baby that is born, isn't really that conscious. He loved us. He cared for us. He had a plan of redemption for us. Amen. So what does love look like in practice? What does God's love look like? Well, love... One of the things about loving someone is you have to reveal yourself. Love means revealing yourself. Love means making yourself vulnerable. Love means being intimate. Love means being vulnerable as myself. So when I put that all together, when it says God loves us, can God be hurt? And the answer is yes. Because God is love. We're going to look now at how God has fulfilled these things. God has revealed himself. He has, been, has tried to be intimate. And he has made himself vulnerable to us hurting him. Imagine that. God has revealed himself in the Old Testament. Let's look at an example of, of God's love for Israel. He started by revealing himself to Moses. Exodus 3.13 And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say to them, The God of the fathers had sent me, had sent you, and they shall say, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Verse 14 says, And God said unto Moses, I am 
that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now the first step in a relationship when you see a young lady or a young man, the first thing you want to know about them is their name. You can't have a relationship if you don't even know their name. Here God was starting a relationship again with Israel as a nation now. Remember when they went into Egypt, they were not a nation. But this is the beginning of the relationship. God gives Moses the name that was not revealed before. In fact, it goes on to say, by my name, Elion, I was not known. Abraham knew God as God most high and some other names, but the I am part of it was not explicitly revealed. Sometimes we have a pet name or a middle name that we keep hidden and we don't reveal it unless it's someone very close to us. Here God was starting the relationship of intimacy by revealing who he truly was. I am that I am. The self-existence one. So God begins this relationship by giving Israel his name. Before you have a relationship with a young lady or a young man, you first want to know who they are. You ask somebody, who is that Who is that girl or who is that guy? What's their name? Here, God was revealing his name. Exodus 6, 3. And I appeared unto Abraham. He was telling Moses, listen, Abraham was my friend, but I didn't have the same kind of relationship with Abraham as I'm about to have with Israel. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah, or the I Am, was I not known to them. He knew Abraham as a friend. He knew, he knew Isaac as a friend. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now he's going to reveal himself to Israel by a new name. God was going to next become intimate We know the story of how then Moses led them out of Egypt and they came 45 days to the Mount Sinai and God told them, sorry, 46 days and on the three days to prepare themselves because he was going to be intimate with Israel. He was going to come down upon the Mount and reveal himself. He gave them his name and now he's, he's revealing who he is. Exodus thirty three eighteen, And you know the story. The, the mountain started to, 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 to steam and boil and God came down on the top of the mountain. Israel became afraid. Moses went up and in his conversation with God, here is what Moses said. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. When you want to see God's glory, what you're asking is to be intimate. And that can only happen under a certain circumstance. You're not intimate with people you don't know. There has to be a certain really close relationship to be intimate. And so God said unto Moses, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon the rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put you in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee by my hands while I pass by. 
God was about to reveal a portion of himself. So he had to have Moses put in the cleft of the rock. Of course, we know that rock is Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ can we be intimate with Shekinah glory. It's only through Jesus Christ that we take the next step. Many people now know his name, but that's as far as the love relationship goes. They have not come to Jesus Christ so that he can hide them in the cleft of the rock, and so they cannot be intimate. They don't receive that glory, that Holy Spirit. And of course, we know in the New Testament who that rock was. Let's read this in Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is an amazing passage, by the way, in, in Hebrews. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You have to choose who you're going to be intimate with. You can either be intimate with the world or intimate with God, but you can't be both. Now, verse 26 is amazing. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now, when did Moses meet Christ? That's what the scripture says. Well, I'll tell you when. When he went into that rock and became intimate to see God's glory. Jesus said in John, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And Abraham rejoiced to see my glory. The only way you become intimate, you have that relationship with God, is when he first gives you his name, and then you get into Christ. Bible tells us here that in Hebrews, that Moses chose the reproach of Christ, Jesus Christ, than the luxury and the life of Egypt. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 reveals who that rock is again, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ can we take the next step. Many people know his name. In fact, Jesus said they will say, they will call his name and say, didn't I do this in your name? But they never got the next step. They knew the name, but they never went to the party, so to speak. So love then is fulfilled in going to the next step through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, love requires a conversation. It can't be a a one-way street. Listening to learn to know his word. In Numbers 14, 19, it says, Pardon, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. This is Moses interceding for them. As thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Jumping down to to verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not listened to my voice. God was very hurt after showing them his glory, being intimate, so to speak, with Israel. They went and followed other gods. They made a golden calf. They betrayed him. In other words, they cheated And God was hurt. When we are intimate, we open ourselves up to hurt. God showed them who he was by giving them a name. He had not revealed himself to either Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. He then came down on Sinai and made commitments with them and went into covenant with them like a marriage. And yet they cheated on him. Luke 12, 48 says, But he that knew not 
and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of, they will ask the more. What this is saying, that Israel, above all the other nations, was chosen by God to be his special people, to whom he was going to open himself up, to whom he was going to show love by first giving them his name and then revealing his glory by being intimate with them. Hebrews 6, 4 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good powers, the good word of, the, of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. What it's speaking about was shaming God's love, rejecting what he did on Calvary. This is not easy to do. It's not just a, uh, like in a marriage where you have an argument. This is deciding you, you don't want this marriage. Even after this person has opened themselves to you, have shown you great love. It's killing, in other words, the relationship. It's killing the relationship. John, 1 John 5, 6, 5, 16 says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. But there is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall pray for it. So what he's saying here, that there is a, a part we can go where we have killed the marriage, so to speak, the covenant relationship with God. It's not easy thing to do. It's when you completely say, I want out of this. I know that God loves me, but I don't care. It's when you don't even want to be in relationship to the point where you say it's fake. Despising what Jesus did. Him showing you love on Calvary. Opening himself of showing you his glory by filling you with the Holy Spirit. This is not a sin that is easy to commit. Nevertheless, we're commanded to love. God himself, the Bible speaks about his love. He commendeth it to us. Romans 5, 8 tells us to paraphrase, I loved you at your darkest. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth or shows us or expresses or, or, or refers to his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were pretty unlovable, while we didn't look so good, he died for us. Now the question I have is, does our love to one another commend itself? Can you see it? Have you seen? Can your love be shown that you have for your brother? Does your love commend itself? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would even dare to die. But God commendeth, means shows us. It, it means, uh, I've put the definition here, to place together, to set in the same place, to bring together, to stand. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a proof. God proves his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while there was no good reason to love us, we weren't attractive, we weren't pretty, we didn't smell good. Christ died for us. Verse 9 is so encouraging. 
So that was then. Hopefully this is now. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Wrath through him, I should say. For if when we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, Paul likes to use that word, much more, not a little bit, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, the atonement. Amen. We're going to look at an example now in the Old Testament of commanded love, and probably the greatest example of this is the whole book of Hosea. Um, Hosea was a prophet, and many of you know the story. God wanted to demonstrate how Israel was treating him. And so he told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Let's read the story. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. So this tells you the time frame that Hosea was the prophet. And of course, some of those kings were not good kings. He, he happened to be in the reign of some good kings, Hezekiah, and uh, some not so good kings. Verse 2, when the Lord first began to speak Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. You know what he's saying? You won't even know if some of those children are yours. I don't know if you'd still want to be a prophet in those days. God tells you, go marry a prostitute. He was, you, do you see what the scripture is saying? He was speaking to Israel through this act of Hosea. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea. In other words, this is commanded love. I want you to go find a prostitute, and I'm commanding you to love her. <laughs> what, what, a, what a command. This is, this is a, right up there with, with offering your firstborn. Uh, there are many arranged marriages today, but usually the person being married is, 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 is investigated by the family. That they're they're a, of a good class. Here God is telling him, go find a prostitute. And I want you to marry her so that you don't even know if the child belongs to you. This is commanded love. This goes above and beyond. So let's look at this. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And some of the names here are so sad. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. Through this act of marriage and the child, God was demonstrating certain things through the naming and through this whole circumstance and, 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 and uh, play almost that, that God used Hosea to act out. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Verse 6, soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter. Lo, Ruhamah, not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. That's how hurt God was. That's, that's, that's coming from a place of hurt. Imagine all God had done for Israel over and over and over and over and over again. 
And yet they completely ignored him and went off worshiping demons and idols. So God was demonstrating through Hosea something through his marriage, something through his children. Imagine having to name your daughter, not love. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies. At this time, Judah was still being uh, reigned by Hezekiah. The northern kingdom was, was over with Ahaz. But my power as the Lord their God. After Goma had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she became pregnant again and gave birth to a, son, a second son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami. Not my people. For Israel is not my people and I am not their God. This is, this is a, a, a evidence of hurt. You can hurt God after all he's done for you. And in this whole chapter, we're seeing God demonstrate that the people who he had called, the people who he had showered with uh, blessings, with victories, with, with, with being chosen had hurt him. We can see this going back to Deuteronomy, that Israel was his betrothed. Deuteronomy 32.8, When the Most High divided the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Verse 9, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Do you understand that if you are born into the kingdom, you are his portion. Your life is no longer your own. You are commanded. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 8, when the Most High divided the nations, I'm reading it in a modern translation, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the nations according to the number of the angels of God. And his people, Jacob, became the portion of the Lord. Israel was the line of his inheritance. So all the way back from the time he chose Abraham, that was his plan, to make a people for himself. But at no time can love be forced. He didn't make them robots. He didn't try and and make them love him. He tried to make them love him through demonstrating his love by forever giving and blessing and rescuing and healing and making provision. He demonstrated his love. Deuteronomy 7 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This scripture still speaks to us today. Let's not hurt God. Let's not shame the fact that he has been intimate with us in sharing his Holy Spirit, his glory. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. He didn't love us because we were pretty or we were rich or we were attractive. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's why God was so hurt 
That's why he set this up with the prophet Hosea. Hosea was well known. I'm sure that it made people think, what is this prophet going marrying a prostitute? Maybe, maybe some of them began to understand that God was speaking to them and showing them themselves. Of course, the story still has some more pain to go through because Gomer, even though she was rescued from prostitution and she had a, a great man, a prophet, the Bible doesn't tell us when she decided she would run away again, but she does. Gomer leaves Hosea for another lover, just as Israel kept on leaving God, just as sometimes we do, and enters into an adulterous relationship. As I put there, we can only imagine Hosea's pain and anger at this rejection. See, God was using and illustrating through the life of Hosea with Gomer his pain with Israel, and even today, his pain with us when we betray him after he has revealed himself to us, after he has delivered us, after he has blessed us. But of course, you know how Satan is? He'll trick you. He'll, he'll make you think this is better over here, but you know the story. Once she had run away and thought it was better out there, her new person abused her and she ended up back as a slave and she was bought and sold and put on a stand like a piece of meat her lover's mystery that's what satan will do to you because his love is deceit his love is not real he just wants to take you away from god but when he's finished with you you'll be nothing but here is where commanded love comes in and shows God's great mercy. And by this time, Hosea really loved Gomer. He must have. Hosea 3.1 Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord towards the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver. She had already been his wife. She ran away. He had to buy her back again. And for a homer of barley and half a homer of barley. This is love. After all she had done to him, after all we have done to God, he still loved us. Hosea's love reflects in this story God's love. You know, today it would be quite shocking. Local preacher buys wife out of prostitution again. Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and half a homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. God, through Hosea, was trying to show the renewal of the covenant. I've rescued you yet again. I've got you out of another pit. When are you going to learn? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to stop this nonsense? See, this was all in reflection 
of Israel and how many times they would sin and hurt God's intimacy. Hosea 3.4 For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod and without a teraphim. You know what this prophecy is telling us? It's being fulfilled right now. Since AD 70, because of Israel's repeated rejection and final rejection of Christ, they don't have a temple. They don't have a king. They don't have a prince. And without a sacrifice. There's no temple to do a sacrifice. This was predicted hundreds of years in Hosea. But verse 5 says, Afterwards, thank be to God, there is an afterwards. Just like Hosea went one more time and rescued Gomer. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Hosea ends this way. Come, come. Let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn, he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind up. Verse 2 is the prophecy. Yes, for 2,000 years they've not had a king. They've not had a temple. They've not been able to sacrifice. But God's love is so great. After two days, in other words, after 2,000 years, will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. This is all about God's commanded love. The Bible says he commendeth his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I showed that in the Old Testament, he revealed himself first by his name. And then he revealed his glory. God wants to reveal his name and his glory to you. If you do not know him, you can. This is God's commanded love. Hallelujah. Wherever you are at this point, we're going to close this Bible study. I invite you to come out and be with us in person on Sundays at 1030 for Sunday study and at 12 o'clock for our evangelistic service. But I don't want you to forget that God has chosen us while we were yet sinners, that he has loved us, that while we were yet unattractive, Christ died for us. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord God, for your mercy, most of all for your greatness and your love. Oh God, that you did not let us stay on the slavery block, but you came and rescued us. You brought us back. Lord, we just thank you for your great mercy and your love. Help us to meditate upon that, Lord God, to never shame you, to never despise your love, Lord God, but to draw close to you, to look to be one with you, to be one flesh, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing, and we give you all of the glory, all of the praise in Jesus' name.